Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Bridging the Gaps. I'm your host, Dr. Wasim Akhtar. Today I'm joined by Dr. Carlo Rovelli. Carlo Rovelli is professor of physics at uh, Exmasse University, where he is director of the Quantum Gravity Group at the Center for Theoretical Physics. He is one of the founders of Loop Quantum Gravity Theory and is one of the world's biggest experts in this field. Today, we are going to discuss the nature of time, the nature of space and the fundamental nature of reality through the lens of quantum mechanics. Carlo, thank you very much uh, for joining me and a very warm welcome to Bridging the Gaps. Thank you very much. I'm very happy being here. In your books uh, and in your presentations, uh, you say time is not what we think it is. You also say that uh, space is not what we think it is. Uh, let us start with time. What do you mean by the statement that uh, time is not what we think uh, it is? I mean something very simple. Um, we have a common way of thinking about time and we assume that time has a certain number of properties. And of course we're not wrong because in our everyday life this works. Uh, but as soon as we just are a little bit more precise in, in measuring with better clocks, uh, we rapidly start uh, seeing uh, empirically, physically, concretely, that time works differently from uh, what we usually think. And the first of these um, discrepancies um, um, comes from the fact that clocks go at different speed from one another uh, depending on a number of things and uh, uh, in, in, for instance depending on the altitude at which they are. So well, we, we have this idea that two identical clocks if I separate them uh, and then I bring them back together uh, if they were indicating the same time before uh, then they're going to indicate the same time uh, later unless they break or something happens or somebody's cheating or something. Uh, so we have the idea that identical clocks keep beating the same time, whatever happens to them. And that's just not true, factually not true. In fact, it can be tested in the laboratory um, today that if you take two clocks and you raise one by even uh, 10, 20 centimeters and then bring it back, um, one of the two clocks, uh, the clock that uh, went out and, uh, and, and, uh, and come down, measures more time than the time that than the time measured by the other one. So the effect is small because gravity on Earth is small, it's due to gravity, um, but it can be very large in, in, in other uh, situations. So this means that this very idea that there is a single time clicking the same for everybody over the universe is just wrong. The universe is more complicated than that. And this is only the first step. You challenge the notion of uh, universal now. Uh, you say that uh, there could be a now in terms of time in a small bubble. Uh, even that is not a true now. But there is no universal now. And you say that we must think of time as a localized phenomenon and every object in the universe has its own time running at a pace determined by the local gravitational field. What do you mean by that every object in the universe has its own time running? Yeah, um, the, the reason now it's, it's, it's a bad notion, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's subtle and uh, to actually show it concretely takes, it, it takes some time. Uh, but it's easier to, 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 to think the other way around. We have a strong intuition of what it means now, right? And let's see where does this intuition come from. And then we'll see that, uh, in fact, it's, it's, uh, it's badly grounded. So where does our intuition come from? Well, just look around me. And I see uh, out of the window there is a bird who now is doing something, right? And that tree there now, uh, there's you know, rain dropping onto it. And I can look at you, you're a little bit more distant because there's a computer between us. But I see you now, you see me now, right? This, we have a 
clear understanding of now, which comes from the fact that uh, we interact with different things, uh, events in the world, uh, you talking to me, that bird doing something, and we, we see instantaneously the way they are. Okay, so once you understand that this is the origin of our intuition about now, uh, you immediately see that there is something wrong. Because uh, uh, lie, when I see you, you see me, or I see the bird, uh, what is actually happening is that there is some light traveling from the bird or the tree to me, right? And light is very fast, but it's not infinitely fast. It takes some time. And it takes, I don't know, from here to there, a nanosecond. And a nanosecond for my brain is like non-existing because uh, my brain doesn't resolve nanoseconds. And even if with you, I mean, you, you're far away, more far away than uh, just outside my window, uh, but the time it takes light to travel wherever it has to go and becomes electromagnetic waves and then come back, uh, it's very, very short, maybe milliseconds. And it's still much smaller than anything I can resolve in my, in my, in my brain. So the entire idea that we're looking at the universe now is just wrong. So we're looking at the universe uh, in some sense, a little bit in the past, because, uh, and of course, on the big universe, this is very, very relevant because we know now we know very well that when you, uh, we have images of distant galaxies, but in, in a sense, we're seeing them millions of years ago because light took millions of years to travel. So what do we mean now? What is happening now on a distant galaxy? Well, it's very tricky because, uh, I mean, we could send a message to this distant galaxy. It will take a million years. Um, so certainly everything we see is in the past. If we send a message to the galaxy, it's the future. But in between is huge intermediate time. And which one of these events that happen in which intermediate time is really simultaneous to us? Well, if you go into the details of what we know about physics, known. Uh, it's just totally conventional. There is no sense, there is no objective sense whatsoever uh, to the question uh, what is happening now in a distant galaxy. I mean, just you can define it in 10 different ways and each one gives a different uh, now. For instance, you can say, well, suppose the distant galaxy sent me, you know, uh, a message, then I answer between the moment they send the message, the moment they receive the message is, uh, I don't know, 20 million years. Well, just in the middle, it's now. Yeah, it's a definition. But it doesn't mean anything because if I was moving, there the, would be a different now. If they were moving, it would be different now. So it's, uh, it doesn't work. So the only way out of that, the only reasonable way out then, and the physicists slowly got all convinced by that, is that uh, the notion of now is just an approximation that works uh, around me as long as I can disregard the speed, the, the speed of light and I can imagine that I'm seeing instantaneously. Um, so I can say here now, I mean, I snap my finger and I say, uh, you know, along my life, there is one precisely now, I mean now, for instance, I snap two fingers, now we're very close and they are simultaneous, okay? But if I snap a finger, you snap a finger, it might be that you do it definitely before me, I saw you. It might be that you did it definitely after me because you saw me, but it might be that it's neither. And there is some, some, some play in between. So there's no now, or if you want, now is extended. It can be a million years <laughs> now. And that's very strong because, uh, you know, if, if, if we are not allowed to think what is the universe now, um, we, we, we go rapidly to the question we wanted to, to address at the end uh, because we used to say that what is real is real now, right? The, the, uh, the Buddha is not real now. It was really real in the past, the historical Buddha. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, but if we don't have a... If physics tell us that now is not a well-defined notion, we have to adjust what we mean by real a little bit. This next uh, concept is also equally uh, intriguing, uh, that your research seems to suggest that the continuity of time is uh, also an illusion. Yeah, this is uh, another uh, 
breaking of the, our uh, notion of time. Uh, you know, it's like, I, as I say in the book, the notion of time has lost pieces, piece by piece. Uh, once again, in our everyday life, the common notion of time, it's okay. I mean, we, we all, we, we can adjust our clocks because none of us is going very far. No, um, but if you want to think of the universe uh, in detail, in the small, in the large, we have to change, the notion of time has to lose pieces. And uh, there is strong evidence. This is, I mean, unlikely the two previous thinkers said, this is a, a search going on. <clears throat> so um, the, the two previous things I said is, is very well established physics. I mean, every physicist agree with that. The, the, the loss of continuity is very plausible. Uh, we have derived it in equations, but it's not been checked concretely in, in, in experiments. But this, the arguments are convincing, um, I think. And uh, the point is that uh, uh, because of quantum theory, this is one of the points where quantum theory comes in, uh, things are often much more granular than continuous. Right. I mean, the, the, the light that arrives to me, we, we, we described it as a electromagnetic waves, but then uh, a better measurement, we realize that actually it arrives to me in little bits, which are the photons. There is a granularity of, of things. This is a typical quantum effect because the size of this is the size of quantum effects. And uh, uh, the, 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 the rate of the passage of time, how time passes, is, is determined by, by the gravitational field. That was Einstein's great uh, discovery, this connection between gravity and, um, and, uh, and time, space and time. And the gravitational field is, is, is a quantum object as well, like the electromagnetic field. So it's also granular. And the, the consequence of that, if you do the mathematics, is that uh, uh, there is a minimum time step which cannot be resolved uh, further. It's very small, 10 to the minus 44 seconds. So it's, you know, it's just incredibly small. <clears throat> um, in, in between, you know, within one second, uh, there are billions and billions and billions of, of individual time, time steps. And that's why it's so hard to, to, to resolve them. Uh, but we think uh, that this is the case, namely, uh, it, it makes sense to say half a second, it makes sense to say one quarter of a second, one tenth of a second, one hundredth of a second. There are, there are processes which are shorter than that, but there's a bottom line, there's a bottom of that. There's a, the individual, so in some sense, time is just discrete. There's one instant and then there's another one separated by, there's nothing in between. And I think, uh, so I, I find this plausible because of the physics, but I also find this plausible uh, metaphysically, if you want. Um, of course, the universe is very large. Of course, the universe is the things are very, very small. But I don't, it's hard for me to believe uh, that uh, there is something, as long as you go in small, there's always something. Well, as long as you go in large, there's always something. Um, I think that the, the idea of infinity, that it, it's a very good uh, tool for describing many, many things, uh, but nothing is really infinite, right? We, we use infinity in physics uh, all the time when we do calculus. Uh, if we, and, and we are used to the fact that we, we say infinity, but it's not true. We say continuity is not true. I mean, think of an, an engineer who is designing an airplane. He draws a line, I mean, for, 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 for the wings of the airplane. And uh, of course it's a continuous line. And then he think about the, 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 the aeroplane as a continuous surface, or whoever designed this computer. I mean, it's a nice continuous. But we know that this is not continuous. This is just a bunch of atoms, one next to the other one. Of course, the continuous approximation is very good because who, who sees the atoms? I mean, is that too small? Uh, but, but if we look carefully, we see that it's not continuous. Um, so that's the way nature works. It's granular. It's granular in the small. And I think this is also true for time. And uh, um, the, there are a few attempts to try to measure this granularity of time, to see it not just coming out from our theories, equations, but to actually measuring them. Um, I have, a, with the colleagues, we, we try to 
to write a tentative experiment to sort it out. Um, it's a very speculative idea. It relies on something which we're far from sure that it can be done. But we're trying. So uh, it's not completely impossible, maybe not with this idea, with another one, maybe not next five years later, that at some point this discreteness of time could be actually measured. We will discuss quantum mechanics and quantum theory uh, later in our discussion. However, uh, it is interesting that I point out when we look at the reality at a very small scale, uh, at, at quantum level, time as a variable vanishes from the equations of uh, quantum mechanics. Yes, because, uh, you see, precisely because it loses pieces when you understand it better, uh, we, we realize that we say time, but we really, it's not clear what we mean by time. Right. We, we have a very clean intuition of what time is it, right? You know, I wake up in the morning, I have this time yesterday before, it seems all very clear. But then when we start measuring better and studying better, it's not so clear. So time is a complicated thing. Uh, it passes here different than it passes in another point. We cannot adjust the same time. Um, it's granular and small. But then the, the more you study it, the more you realize that the usual notion of time is just bad. It doesn't work. And the better way of thinking about reality is not that uh, time passes sort of measured by clocks and everything happens in time, okay? So that's a sort of the Newtonian way. Newton was the one who most used this. this. So there is a time, time passes, you know, like, you know, Shiva dancing and making things happening. Um, and then things happen in time. That's the Newtonian way of thinking. And it just doesn't work for doing modern physics because this time is not there. Uh, there are clock times, but the clock themselves behave funny. So the better way of describing reality is that there are variables that we see. Uh, the position of something, the position of the hand on my clock, the position of the sun, the intensity of the light, the color of my shirt, or, or, or any variable that you can use. And all these variables change together in various manners. And it's not that one of these is time, or there is a specific time variable. It, it might be convenient to use the position of the hand of the clock because it's particularly regular. So I call it time. I call it my time variable. Uh, but uh, all the peculiar phenomena of time are all approximations including the flowing, the passage from the past to the future. And uh, this is so much so that in the equations for a quantum theory of gravity that we are working on, uh, we just dropped any time variable. There's, not, there's no variable which is time. So in some strong sense, uh, at, at the level of most generality we have for describing nature, it's better to forget about time entirely, not to think about a, a time revolution in time. Think uh, that uh, not that the, not that this is a static world. A static world is a world nothing changes in time. Time passes, nothing changes. There's nothing static. It's the opposite. It's everything is happening, but there's no common order um, of, of things. There's no common time passing. So it's better, I think, to be the universe of a confused ensemble uh, of, of events which in some approximation look like a common time passing for everything. This nicely brings us to my next uh, question. In physics, from one moment to the next, the only concept that gives some notion of continuity is the flow of heat and is the concept of entropy. Uh, talk us through how entropy plays an important role in this perceived continuity. Yeah, entropy plays a role uh, in uh, the direction of time. Uh, and this has been uh, one of the great surprises in the sort of the, the, the last two centuries evolution of physics. And uh, I would say something on which we're still debating and there are the, the, the really, not, it's like it's not entirely clear the story, but the very pieces of the story are, are clear. And the, uh, 
the best surprise has been uh, that uh, all the equations of physics do not distinguish the past from the future. While our experience distinguishes the past from the future dramatically, right? We, I remember yesterday, I don't remember tomorrow. <laughs> Eggs break, don't reform. So we live in a dramatically uh, time-oriented world with a past is different from the future, which seems to be governed, nevertheless, by equations that are the same to the direction of time. Now, there, is, there are some equations in physics that distinguish the past from the future, only those that include uh, thermal phenomena, temperature, heat. Uh, and if one thinks uh, every time there's distinction between the past and the future, there's heat. It's, a, it's very surprising, but it's, it's a fact. You cannot invent a, 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 a realistic story uh, where there's no heat at all, uh, that, such that its time reversal looks implausible, right? If I, if I let something fall down and it stops, if I show it backward, this jumps up, you say, no, 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 that's wrong. So falling down is an irreversible phenomenon. And in fact, when the, the pen lands somewhere, it hits there. So what's really going on is that the energy of this falling spreads out in, 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 on, on the ground where it hits. And uh, it's very improbable that the opposite happened, that the energy pushes the thing up. So it's heat. Uh, so heat is the only source of the difference between the past and the future. That's surprising. I mean, that was, came as a shock. Um, there's heat in our brain. Uh, and that's why we are oriented in time. But heat is not a thing. Heat is just the motion of a lot of things together. It's just the approximate view of a lot of things together. So there's something funny because the direction of time appears only when we have this macroscopic uh, view and we don't see the details. And entropy, that was your question, counts exactly this uh, uh, lack of detailed view that, that we have. There's a, technically the number of microstates that correspond to a to a given macro state. So the orientation of time is strongly tied to the fact that uh, we give a macroscopic description about the world. And uh, uh, every time we give a description of all the relevant details without any heat, any, any dissipation, uh, the direction of time seems to disappear. For instance, the solar system. Right, solar system is a complicated dynamics. But if you, if I make a movie of the solar system with the Earth, the Moon, etc., and I show you the movie backward, you say, "Well, that's perfectly co co consistent with the laws of Newton. That's a possible story." There's no irreversibility there because there's no heat dissipated. Um, so the the entropy is uh, it, it's what changes, what distinguishes the future from the past. Uh, and is not in the basic physics. It's somehow in the approximate description we give uh, 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 of the phenomena, uh, which has a spectacular consequence, which in a sense, the, 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 the great distinction between the past and the future is not really in the microphysics. It's in, uh, in the approximate way we look at the world. And that's astonishing, my opinion. You briefly touched upon uh, this point uh, a few moments ago. We humans have memories of uh, the past. We can plan our future and uh, we plan our future in the present moment. Uh, you mentioned in your presentations that this conceptualization of past, present and future has more to do with our brains and perception then to the reality that is out there? It's, it's a, it, uh, yeah, very good. It's layers again. So the distinction between the past and the future is in this microscopic description of reality. So I would not say that is in our brain because it's a fact that the microscopic description of reality is time-oriented uh, independently of us. Uh, I mean hot things cool down even on the moon where nobody's looking. So it's not in me. Uh, but the description in terms of, uh, of, of, of a hot object and a cold object, it's, what, it, it's only that that allows to say uh, that there is a distinction between past and future. Um, 
but we have a much that's what you were saying we have a much stronger sense of what is a past and what is a future right for us and that's maybe the key point about time when we say time we don't really think about the clock uh uh period the the the, the fact that the position of the hand of the clock changes when the sun moves we're thinking about something else we're thinking that I remember tomorrow, I remember yesterday, okay? And, and I remember the day before yesterday, and I study history, what happened in my country 2000 years ago with the Roman Empire. And I think about tomorrow, I have to, to, to decide what to do tomorrow, I have to decide what to eat, and, and I have some desire with respect, and, and, and my entire brain is designed to, to try to go somewhere, to try to get something, to try to, I don't know, be happy, be nice, whatever. So, we have a sense of a time, a fixed past, an open future on which we can take decision, time flowing, moving. We have the sense of a, a sometimes time passing fast, sometimes passing slowly. Obviously, all this is not in the clock. The clock does not remember the past, does not have desire for the future, does not have a sense of flowing time. The clock just is some position or some. So a lot of what seems natural properties of time to us uh, is actually not in the clock time. It's, we're really describing uh, the specific things that our brain does. And our brain is designed to, to remember the past, to, 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 to make plans for the future, to try to, because, that's, because that made us survive. So um, again, to understand the time, we have to break it apart. We have to separate the part, which is just you know a description of our uh, our brain, from the part which is due to the microscopic description and, and entropy, from the part which is uh, just an approximation of the fact that uh, you know we ignore the speed of light, uh, from the part that is approximation of the you know the quantum discreteness of space and so on. So you have to take time and, and break it in pieces, yeah. and then you say, right, look, this aspect of time come from here, this come from here, this come from here, this come from here, and that just come from the, our, the way our brain is, uh, is, made, is made. And the mistake that we use, very f in which we very often follow, and I think a lot of people follow, including philosophers, uh, is to say, okay, time is time. I know what is time. It has all these properties. It's universal, it's flowing, and the past is fixed, and the future. Where is it? Is it in nature? Is it by mind? Uh, well, no, it's not time is time. Time is a lot of things. Some are in nature, some are approximation, some are in my mind. And that's the beauty of the issue of time, I think, because it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very complex story. And of course, then time is very close to our emotions and to what we, what we are. So we're curious to understand what is time. Your new book, Helgoland, begins uh, with a detailed description of the development of quantum theory in 1925. Talk us through the main observations and discoveries that uh, led to the development of quantum theory. It has been a long process, the development of quantum theory. Uh, uh, it, it has taken um, a good quarter of a century. Um, it was a number of uh, uh, phenomena that were studied uh, uh, at the turn of the century. Um, and in the beginning of the of the uh, of the twentieth century, that just didn't work with um, with classical mechanics. It was more and more clear that they did not work with classical mechanics. All the spectra of the atoms, uh, um, uh, the, the 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 um, uh, radiation of a of a dark uh, uh, of a black uh, body. Um, the, the, the photoelectric effect. There's a long list of, of, of phenomena that were incomprehensible. Uh, and uh, it more and more came clear, especially in the mind of Albert Einstein and uh, Max uh, Born, uh, that uh, uh, there was something absolutely uh, uh, basic here. It was not just details of phenomena that were not understood. It was uh, something drastic had to be uh, to be changed. So there were a number of attempts, uh, uh, sort of the, the so-called early quantum theory. Niels Bohr was very successful in writing sort of equations that uh, 
were not comprehensible, uh, strange constraints that seemed to give the right numbers when you when, when you had to account for for the observations, but in a in a incoherent and and, and strange manner. And uh, and a lot of people were trying to make sense of that. And what they were trying to do is to find new equations for how things move. These are all phenomena for small things like atoms, electrons, uh, uh, radiation, photons coming out from, from, from radiation. Uh, so people were trying to change a little bit the, the equations, say, say how an atom moves or an electron moves in an atom. And then in 1925, uh, there was this absolutely extraordinary breakthrough by um, Werner Heisenberg, who uh, uh, was 23 at the time, so very young. And uh, he had this breakthrough on the, the island of Helgoland. The, the title of my book is uh, it's based on, uh, on, the, on, on the name of the island, Helgoland. And he was there alone and studying all these things. And then he had this extraordinary idea to say, instead of changing the uh, the equations that uh, we we expect uh, govern the motion of the of the electron in the atom, you know the force, uh, the electric force that uh, attracted toward the nucleus and the and the standard. Let's keep the same equations, but let's just don't think that this is an object uh, with a position and a velocity. Let's treat it like a black box of which we can always talk about what we see and not, not where, where it is. So it's, it's just a dramatic step. He was under the influence of some philosophers who were saying, uh, don't make any metaphysical assumption, just use what you observe, no more than what you observe. And uh, uh, Ernst Mach, in particular, is a philosopher who was insisting on that. And Ernst Mach was very strong, was saying the idea that matter is made by little stones moving around might be a metaphysical assumption. What, what do we know? Just based on what, what we observe. So Heisenberg uh, uh, thought that when you observe an atom, you see only some, some, some particular um, kind of lights that come out and uh, uh, Bohr and the others have uh, sort of understood that uh, it's like there are only particular levels of energy, and the 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 the, the light comes out only when the, the 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 energy shifts from one level to the other. And so Heisenberg said, in, instead of describing the position of the uh, electron, let's have a table of positions, one per each possible jump from one level to the other. And instead of having the velocity, let's have a table of velocity. Once there is possible jump. I mean, this is completely incomprehensible. What, what, what the hell it means? So he used the same equations before, just as classical physics. Plus, but instead of using for variables, use for these tables of numbers, which represented the sort of the, the possible observations. And bingo, he gets all the right number right. It's, it's, it's magic. Einstein called it witchcraft calculation because you know it, it works magically it gives all the number right and in fact with that uh, we're still using that way of computing that's quantum theory quantum theory is this idea of replacing uh, variables with tables of numbers and uh, uh, and very rapidly on on the basis of this work this was 1925 <clears throat> him and Max Born uh, Jordan and then Dirac independently just built what we call quantum mechanics today. And uh, uh, it's probably the greatest revolution in the history of science, certainly one of the great ones, uh, like you know, Copernican revolution or Newton, because uh, um, it forces us to change deeply our understanding of what is a particle, what is an electron. And in fact, it works for everything because quantum mechanics, now 100 years have passed. We use quantum mechanics every day. And uh, we know that everything is quantum mechanical. So um, it, once again, we don't see the quantum phenomena usually in our life because they're small. Uh, but there is a sense in which objects uh, should not be described with a position and velocity in any, mo in, in any moment. Uh, they're more complicated things. We have uh, discussed uh, the nature of time. Uh, now, let us discuss the nature of space. 
quantum space is described uh, as a structure of spin networks what are uh, these spin networks the spin networks are born in the in the, the the main part professional part of my 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 work is about quantum gravity which is the um the effort sort of 100 years so we, we have been talking mostly of you know quantum mechanics was 1925 so it's uh, almost 100 years eight uh, 1997 whatever um and uh, einstein discoveries about uh, space and time Generativity 1915, and this is 100, more than 100 years later. So, um, we physics has evolved building on these two immense steps ahead uh, Einstein, relativity, and, and quantum theory. And all of modern physics, astrophysics, condensed matter physics, uh, I mean, uh, particle physics, uh, you name it, they, they are rooted in these two. This two. Uh, discoveries, but they remain very separated, and uh, the, the 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 open issue is to understand uh, how the two things go together, and in particular how Einstein space-time uh, behaves when you don't disregard quantum theory. So this is the problem of quantum gravity, and uh, the my work, my 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 research, the work of life, my my life, my research has been to try to build one of these theory together with my friends. Um, and uh, the situation is that we don't have a uh, an established solution or proven solution, but there is a decent uh, idea of how things could be. And this is called loop quantum gravity, and it's a it's a it's a quantum description of Einstein space time. That's what what it is. And uh, <clears throat> you remember I said some time ago that one of the typical aspect of uh, quantum theory is granularity. Uh, in fact, time becomes granular because of quantum theory. And the, the, the electromagnetic field is granular, so it's made by photons. So when light comes to me, it's little photons. Now, exactly the same phenomena <clears throat> um, applies to space. So space itself, the space in which we are immersed, uh, has the same granularity. What I said in this study is that the space, uh, it's, uh, it's really a gravitational field. So it's like an object itself, space, which can bend and can uh, stretch. And the effect of this bending and stretching of space and time is, is gravity. Uh, but it's a quantum object. And uh, so when you go into small, it should have quantum properties. So when, uh, according to the theory, the theory is correct, <clears throat> the space between my hands here is not continuous, it's discrete. Uh, but it's not discrete in just in the sense that it's made by little pieces, quantum space. These quantum space are sort of connected. They know who is next to who, so to say. So the, the best way to in, have an intuition about that is there's a quantum space, another one, another one, and there are links between them. So you create a, a network. And this network, uh, it's the mathematical description of uh, uh, space in, in the very small. Uh, it's called spin network uh, because mathematically, sort of along these links, um, there are some so-called quantum numbers. So this, the quantities that characterize the size of these things, um, which are called spin because it's the same mathematical spinning object. Uh, it's very similar mathematics to that. So <clears throat> we have a mathematical uh, description of the quantum quantum space. So what happens space is very, very small, essentially. And uh, this becomes negligible in our everyday life in most applications, but it's not negligible in, uh, in the universe uh, in situations like uh, the very early universe, like the Big Bang or black holes. So the work now is to uh, try to understand how this uh, uh, spin networks, this granularity of space uh, produces phenomena that we might be able to to measure and so to confirm that that uh, that this is exactly the case at small scale so if quantum space uh, has the structure of uh, a spin network what structure will space time have 
it's called spin foam uh, in technical uh, in technical language and uh, um, you might think that so a spin foam is a sort of a, a history of spin networks spin network is a graph so it's points connected by lines and now imagine that you you follow you follow the evolution of that for a while so then a point draws a line okay and and a link draws a little surface so you have little surfaces connected by lines but these lines meets in nodes and if you think a moment this is a, this is a foam if you take a bubble if you, if you if you go have a bath with a with a with a bubble soap uh, the foam is exactly like little surfaces which glue along lines, but then this line meet in, in, in vertices. So it's a foamy uh, thing, which is like uh, space-time, but in the very small, the, the discreteness of space-time in the very small is described by this foamy structure, which in the equation, in the theory, uh, these foamy things are, are the tools with which one, one, one compute how the spin network change somehow, the, the happening of 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 events and remember they don't happen this is a key point they don't happen in time it's a happening which is a time in a sense like the spin networks right this quantum space with the links it's wrong to imagine there's a space and there's a spin network in it because physical space is the spin network so they're not in space they are space in the in the small i use often this analogy that you know, uh, if you have a, if you think about a, a, a t-shirt or a pool, uh, it's not that in the t-shirt there are threads that weave it. The the threads that weave it are the t-shirt. <laughs> okay, if you take them away, there's no t-shirt anymore. So if you take away this quantum space, you don't remain with empty space. There's nothing at all. So, as you say, in one of your books, if the backdrop of space has disappeared. Time has disappeared. Classic particles have disappeared along with the uh, classic fields. So then what is the world made of? <laughs> uh, well, no doubt the world is very different from uh, our usual uh, intuition. But look, our usual intuition is not that the world is made of space, time, and particle. I mean, how many particles have you seen in your life? Uh, we see big things, right? I see a chair, I see a picture, I see a person, I see a window. Um, and I see, I, I use variables to describe it. My windows is green stuff there, and, uh, and this is a certain position. And um, so, I think that uh, the, we make a mistake if we try to look for the bottom foundations of everything. Uh, the world is better described by the uh, network of relations uh, of how all things affect one another. And we know that things can be composed and, and, and made by smaller things. Uh, but I don't think the, the right perspective is to go down to the bottom make a list of things, each one of the, with their properties. I think that the, the right perspective about the world or, or the best perspective, the one that works better today, is to think that uh, we can describe the world, we can isolate a part of the world, the system, describe how it affects um, the rest. So um, we have basic equations of physics. There are some variables that describe uh, uh, relative position of things, values of fields, uh, uh, values of the gravitational field, uh, also number of particles that can, can vary. But these variables are always variable uh, measured with respect to something else. So my picture of the world uh, is like a network of uh, 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 relations and interactions. Uh, between entities, and these entities are essentially nodes in this network of interactions. That's the best picture of the world I have today. There is also another view that when we dig deep and uh, when we look at uh, the 
fundamental building blocks of the universe uh, maybe at the core at the foundational level it is just the information uh, do you have a view on this i think that information is extremely uh, useful uh, notion for talking about reality and in fact uh, uh, relational quantum mechanics which is the perspective of quantum mechanics which i think is most interesting can be formulated in terms of information um and the reason is is that uh, I, I said a moment ago that the best way of viewing the world is how things influence one another which can be said uh, in how uh, things have information about one another right so uh, i think instead of you know i i this pen being here, it's more precise to say that uh, this pen affects me in such a way, and I describe this as the pen being here, and this can be rephrased and me having information about the pen being here. And information here is not necessarily, you know, complicated mind, uh, semantic, um, uh, spiritual thing, not at all. It's just a correlation, physical correlation between the pen and, and me, whatever happened my brain. So if I have two stones hitting one another, each one has information about the other one. So it's a, once you use this language, uh, it's easy to say what quantum mechanics is about. And uh, so it's extremely powerful general language. But uh, uh, I, I was strongly influenced in the 90s by the importance of information. And uh, in fact, my, my first paper on quantum mechanics is one of the first that uh, uh, put information in the in the in, uh, at the core of the description of, of quantum mechanics and reality, but I've, uh, I've moved away from that. I think that uh, information is a very very useful tool. Is but we shouldn't go, you know, we shouldn't get enamored with our last discovery. Um, it's uh, it's just a tool because uh, it's always information about something. So it's information about a variable. So the, the variable comes before, and the information is just counting how what I know about that variable, essentially. <clears throat> it reminds me a little bit, the, the, present, the, the present discussion about information, the state about our uh, discussion about information, reminds me a little bit the, the discussion about energy that were in, uh, in Europe in the, um, toward the, the end of the... 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. Somehow people had understood that there are fields, there is not just particles, so things are more complicated. And it was more and more clear that energy was playing a big role, um, uh, not only mechanics, but also in electromagnetism and also in thermodynamics. So energy was sort of all over. And, and there was a movement of scientists, very good scientists, that were called the energetics, who were trying to say, okay, okay, we got it. Nature is just energy. Uh, they're just manifestation of energy. Nothing else is energy. And in fact, there is a leftover of that in popular culture, culture, right? You know, these people, everything is energy. I feel the energy. It's a leftover from this uh, sort of late 19th century, uh, early 20th century uh, scientific idea. But it's abandoned in a sense. It's not that nature is just energy. Uh, it's uh, today, we don't describe the gravitational field in terms of energy. We don't describe this kind of model in terms of just energy. We use the notion of energy very heavily, and we know why it's, today we know why it's so important. It's related to the variance of the time translation. So it's a, uh, it's a very unifying concept, very powerful, allows us to do calculation, but we don't think that everything is energy and we've got to the bottom of things. Everything is fields, everything is interaction between fields, not energy. So I think with information is a little bit the same. It's a super powerful information notion. We're using it more and more. It allows us to organize things, to understand, to express things, which are harder to say in other way. But I wouldn't go make the step that maybe 20, 30 years ago, I was more inclined to take to say, okay, we got it. Everything is information. You mentioned a few moments ago that uh, there are efforts uh, to develop models and theories uh, to reconcile general relativity with quantum theory. Your loop quantum gravity theory is uh, 
is one such attempt. Talk us through that how your loop quantum gravity theory attempts to reconcile general relativity with quantum theory. In a uh, in a conservative way, so to say. I mean, loop quantum gravity is very radical in the consequences. So this basic equation of having no time, there's no space, space just come out from these big networks. Uh, but the foundation of the theory are very uh, conservative, so to say. Namely, there's a lot of theoretical physics today that tries to do many things at the same time. So it tries not only to understand the quantum property of gravity, so to, to bring together generative and quantum mechanics, but also to uh, solve the problem of particle physics, physics and, uh, and find the theory of everything, the final theory of the world. Uh, so there's part of research um, that goes in that direction. Um, and uh, loop quantum gravity doesn't do that. So it of, uh, is, is just an attempt to understand the quantum properties of gravity, which is a quantum property of space-time, not the final theory of the, of the world. I think we don't know, we're far from the final theory of the world. There are plenty of things you know, out there, for instance, dark matter, we don't know what it is. Uh, so maybe there are more fields, there are more, who knows? I mean, there are so, so many things to, to be understand, uh, to be understood about about the world. So um, uh, loop quantum gravity is just uh, uh, it's just uh, uh, more conservative in, in the in, in the objective, just to do quantum aspect of gravity, quantum mass of space time, and it's also more conservative in the in the foundations because it's a, it um, it's based on the philosophy of science, which is. Uh, you have to be creative to do science, but you don't have to guess in the blue. Very rarely, uh, you have to build on what has been understood. I mean, uh, Maxwell built on electromagnetism, electricity and magnetism, and the experiment of Faraday. So it's, you have to listen to nature, not just to imagine, oh, nature could be like that, how beautiful it would be. Because nature has more imagination than us, by far. Okay, we don't, Nobody could have guessed quantum theory. Nobody could have guessed uh, uh, the Maxwell equations before the experiment of Faraday. So, um, look, quantum gravity builds very much on quantum theory as we know it and general relativity, which is the best theory we have about space-time. So, the, the ideology is let's take general relativity very seriously. I mean, that's what we have understood with it. It's true, it's true because it works so well. And quantum mechanics works so well. So, let's just start try the right way of, uh, we have these two things of combining them. And yeah, they fit. You have to turn them along a little bit, but they fit. And that's loop quantum gravity. So it's a, in a sense, it's a, it's a minimal attempt to, uh, to write generativity, Einstein generativity in a way which is quantum mechanical. Uh, it's probably uh, now what the most followed uh, approach to um, quantum gravity, but there, there are others. Um, none of these attempts are completely finished uh, to various degrees, uh, very various degrees. Some are really sketches of ideas. Maybe, you know, as one, one researcher has an idea and studies this with his two or three, two or three students, which is good because, you know, we need we need to fish around. <laughs> uh, but, but some are very just... Uh, 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 solitary attempts to uh, and and it's a look quantum gravity is quite well developed. The theory is quite uh, uh, quite uh, in shape, and there is a lot of work to apply it to um, to physics, uh, uh, cosmology, and and astrophysics, black hole uh, physics. Uh, so I am moderately optimistic, but the theory is far from being confirmed. So uh, we have to consider it a tentative theory for the moment, not an established theory. I was uh, watching one of your discussions uh, where you discussed uh, uncertainty principle. And you said that a particle could be at this point or at that point at the same time. And you made uh, an interesting point that if a person observes a particle at one location, maybe there is another copy of the same person that at the same time observes it uh, on, a, on a different location. So if the particle is at two places, maybe the observer 
is at two places as well. Uh, this is another way to describe many worlds hypothesis. Uh, was this uh, a general comment or does your theory, uh, does your research point uh, to the same direction? No, it does not. Uh, I, I, I mentioned that because quantum theory is really strange. <laughs> uh is once you go you, you try to see what happens um not just to compute numbers but but to, to to guess what's really happening out there uh it's very strange so if you try to make sense you're you're cornered in very difficult alternatives and uh, one possibility is a many world interpretation of quantum mechanics which is the one you were alluding to uh and uh uh it's coherent is one way of viewing quantum mechanics, but I, I'm not convinced that is a, it's a fruitful way of viewing quantum mechanics. And the idea is that, you know, what happened in quantum mechanics is, as I said, is that the electron doesn't have a position. It only has a position when you, when you see it, when you look at it. And uh, in the relational way, which I prefer, this is it. So the electron doesn't have a position. And uh, the electron is, is an entity that has position when it hits something. So it hits a screen and then it's, it's here. But the position is, is, is the hitting of the screen, so to say. Um, and the strangest of quantum mechanics is uh, in this sense, you can say that the position is some, the electron is somewhere and then you say somewhere, but in between you cannot say where it is. And if you try to say where it is, it's sort of all over. In fact, the famous, famous case in which you have a wall with two holes and the theory t says that it goes through both holes at the same time. It opens up and goes. Uh, now, if you want really to think that the electron is always somewhere, you have to imagine that it's a wave, is 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 here and also there. But then, and that's the direction of many worlds. But then the question is, well, why do I see in one point? and not also here and also here and also here. And the answer many worlds is that because you are a wave as well, so you are also here and there and, and there. So in other words, there are many copies of you. One sees it here, one sees it there, one sees it there. And then you ask, but I see one. The answer is because you are one of these copies. You're not all of them. So it's a way of making sense of quantum mechanics that requires you to believe that there are copies of yourself all over, um, each one of them seeing something different. And uh, could it be? Yeah, it could it be. But I don't think this is the best way of making sense of things. I, 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 I think that uh, it's better not to add, uh, in our picture of reality, not to stuff it with more copies of ourselves and wave functions and uh, just to reduce it in the, in the direction Heisenberg was saying. Uh, just let's talk at the interaction, only what what we see, not we as human being, uh, how a, an object is affected by the other objects. That's what physics is about. And if we restrict that to that, you don't need to go to the many worlds. I believe uh, you have called quantum theory a nonsensical theory. Why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, you, you look, if you study it with your eye closed, you do your exercise and what comes out comes out and uh, you can use it. In fact, many, you know, people who have designed the, 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 the integrated circuits of this computer, probably it's just, they just use it. Uh, but it's a funny theory that doesn't tell you what happened. It just tell you what, what you see coming out from something. So if, if, you, if you ask what happened uh, and you try to make sense of it, you just start saying this is nonsensical. Uh, it just, you know, it's just impossible. You get to this fact that, uh, you know, you are in, doubled with the copies of yourself. The Schrodinger cat is alive and also dead. I and mean, you say, what I, how would I feel if I w would be alive and also dead? I mean, just, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, it forces us to think and to, um, to 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 make sense of it, so it's. Uh, I think we haven't yet, and uh, 
my book is one of the steps in trying to make sense of that. Uh, in the, 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 English, the American version of this book has come out with a uh, subtitle, just uh, making sense of the quantum revolution. So it is nonsense, but we have to find it a sense. Dr. Carlo Rovelli, thank you very much for being with me. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on Bridging the Gaps. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.